session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get into the books, I wanted to make another announcement for my upcoming seminar. It's going to be next Sunday, May 20th, from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic Collection here in Los Angeles. The topic is going to be communication for parenting and relationships, and tickets are available at the door for $40. I'm really looking forward to doing a seminar on communication. I haven't done one that's just on that um, in my own series yet, and so I'm excited to talk about some of the techniques, but really more it's looking at what's underneath communication and how the most important part of a communication uh, or between or for communication is the relationship between the individuals and um, looking at specific ways that we can look at parenting and our romantic relationships, which are probably the most important relationships and also the most challenging ones where communication is going to be the most important and, and look at those issues. So hoping to see you there next Sunday, May 20th, 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. Again, tickets are at, available at the door for $40. Um, so I'll make another announcement for that, but hope to see you guys there. Before I get into the book of the week, for this past week, I wanted to announce the book of this for this week. And it's actually very much related to the seminar, and that's why I wanted to read a book like this. Uh, it's called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen, and they are from the Harvard Negotiation Project. Difficult conversations. And so when I saw this book uh, and I looked it up, I was like, this is the type of book that would definitely uh, be uh, in sync with the things I like to talk about. I always talk about having the uncomfortable conversations. And so to me, this is essentially the same things, those uncomfortable, difficult conversations. And they go through uh, ways of making those difficult conversations less difficult. But as I would acknowledge, they're always still going to be slightly difficult and slightly uncomfortable, but we can make them easier and make it easier for us to face the reality of the situations that we have and the issues that we have. And that's the only way we can make something better or solve it is to talk about things and have those difficult conversations that can not only keep a relationship healthy, but actually strengthen the relationship. So look forward to uh, reading that this week and talking about it on next Monday's show. But going to the book for this past week, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me, Understanding the Borderline Personality by Ger Gerald Kreisman and Hal Strauss. I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. And even just posting the book with that title, I got several messages and comments um, about it which because it is kind of an interesting paradox i hate you 
don't leave me. And uh, paradoxes are something that we see a lot in individuals with borderline personality disorder. And so that's why it does make sense to, to have that. But to first talk about what borderline personality disorder is. So to begin with, uh, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions and misunderstandings about borderline personality. And not only that, there is a lot of judgment about the diagnosis and people who have that diagnosis, unfortunately, even within the psychological and psychiatric community. Uh, for a lot of people who are practicing, you'll hear the term borderline as this kind of uh, very charged word, a term where if someone says, oh, my, I have a borderline or how many borderlines do you have? It's like this feeling of, oh, that's, that's the toughest case. Those are the toughest ones. And some people will say, I won't even see someone who is borderline because I don't want to deal with it or I can't deal with it. And so unfortunately, there is, of course, a strong stigma to mental illness in general, but certain diagnoses have a even stronger stigma. And this one, borderline personality disorder, has definitely one of the strongest, again, even within the community where you would hope that mental health professionals would have uh, a role in reducing the stigma we see that with certain diagnoses, maybe we even contribute to it by the way we can talk about people dealing with certain issues. And the borderline, someone with borderline personality disorder is difficult to be in any kind of relationship with. Uh, that's part of actually the symptoms, which I'll go through. So there is some truth to that, that they are, they can be difficult clients. They're not going to be easy, but that does not mean that we should put that judgment on them or those labels or in a way make them somehow, uh, make them untreatable for some people, or they might feel that way. Whereas the authors note, the recent research is showing that we can be much more optimistic about the prognosis of someone with borderline personality disorder than we could have been actually when they wrote the first edition of this book, which is kind of cool. I'm glad I got to read a more updated one, although it was still several years ago, so there's even newer research. But um, since the first time they wrote the book, I think in the 80s, there was a lot of research showing that there's more treatments developed and also research showing that they were effective. So let me go through um, the symptoms. And so the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders, uh, when this book was written, and even in their more pre the more updated one, it was on its fourth edition. And now there's actually a fifth edition, and it's been revised, some of the criteria for uh, many of the disorders, including borderline personality disorder. But I'm going to talk about the DSM-4 uh, criteria, even though it's been updated, because that's what this book was focused on. And I just think it's a little bit easier to talk about it in that context. So I'll talk about these symptoms, which still um, relate to how we understand the disorder. So to begin with, the way it's described is that a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image, and affects, or basically emotions or feelings, and marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts. And then the individual has to have five of these nine symptoms. The first one is frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. So this is kind of where you get this title, I hate you, don't leave me. Uh, the I hate you part comes to play in some of the later uh, symptoms. But this one, the don't leave me is a big part of the individual borderlines 
life, this constant fear of real or imagined abandonment, as they put it. So even a few minutes of separation or a very brief separation can feel, can bring up this threat of abandonment, which can feel unbearable to them. Criteria two, a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. And this idealization and devaluation, these two extremes, again, there's all these paradoxes. This is another one that is a very common one and one of those telltale signs of borderline personality. They'll sometimes meet someone, whether it's a romantic partner, it could even be a therapist, a friend, and they'll say, this person's an angel. The greatest thing that's ever happened to me, I've never met anyone like this in my life. And they're just so happy and they'll talk about them as if they're the most wonderful person in the world. And that's the idealization. But then later on, if they just do something that upsets them slightly or um, something doesn't go the way they like, they can devalue that same person. So that same person who was the angel, the greatest person on earth, now is the devil, the most evil, conniving, never did anything good for me, always was out to get me, was always um, trying to hurt me. And that same person who was idealized becomes devalued. And even as a therapist, they say you have to be ready for this, that it's kind of like what comes up must come down. So you might be getting idealized at the beginning of the therapeutic relationship, but you have to be ready that very likely that devaluation is coming. And you got to be ready for that. Another term that relates to this idealization and devaluation is something called splitting, which is a defense where we have people be either all good or all bad, because there isn't this uh, ability to tolerate that some people or all people are some of both. And there's almost an anxiety that comes from trying to understand or figure out that people can be good and still make mistakes or that we're all good and sometimes can do bad things. And we are a blend of both. The borderline individual splits so completely that it's people are either all good or all bad. There can't be and in between, there is no gray area. Another important uh, aspect of the borderline personality, which is the third criteria, is identity disturbance. Marked, markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. So the individual borderline has very little sense of self of who am I? And even there is some analogy of the personality be, being like jello, where it basically can fit in whatever container it's in, but you can't really hold it either. Um, and so we see the person with borderline personality doesn't have any object constancy. There isn't this real me or this real you. You can go from being idealized and then devalued, neither of which is actually you, and I myself don't have a real sense of self. I don't know who I am. I don't know um, if I'm good or bad, and if I'm Getting a compliment, it's hard for me to take it, unfortunately. And if I'm actually something negative is said or I make a mistake, I feel like I'm horrible. So they can do the same thing to themselves and devalue themselves as well. Uh, criteria for impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging, including things like spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. Uh, the fifth one is recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, or threats, or self-mutilating behavior. This is also a very common characteristic of borderline personality is either the suicide attempts or threats and gestures or things that include cutting and self-mutilating. 
These are very common. Um, affective instability is the next one. That means basically emotions that are very up and down, unpredictable. The individual with borderline is very hard to predict. One moment they can seem okay, the next moment they're flying off the handle. And this is why sometimes it can be confused with bipolar. Some people will think that, oh, this person's so bipolar because they were nice to me one moment and then the next moment they were so mean. But that's not actually what borderline personality disorder is. Um, when we're talking about, or that's not what bipolar is, this type of reactivity, it's much shorter. Whereas someone who is bipolar, usually their manic and depressive phases can last days, weeks, or even months with the depressive period. Someone with borderline personality within the same day can go through these extreme ups and downs. The seventh one uh, is chronic feelings of emptiness. So again, there isn't this real sense of self. Life feels empty. They feel empty. They don't have this real sense of fulfillment within themselves. Eighth one relates to the one about the moods, and this is inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. So you'll see temper tantrums and um, something that might seem really slight will set them off. And all of a sudden you'll have someone who seemed calm and you seem to be having a really pleasant day with them or dinner or whatever it might be and all of a sudden they'll explode which will really seem out of nowhere and the ninth symptom that was listed in the dsm-4 is transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms and so an individual with borderline personality can experience psychosis they might have um, delusions or even hallucinations but they're short-lived, usually not long, different from someone who's, let's say, experiencing schizophrenia. But again, we see that the individual with borderline personality disorder is really suffering. They're going through extremes, ups and downs. They don't have any stability in their relationships. They constantly feel like they're getting abandoned, but they often have a fear of intimacy at the same time. So their their life is marked by chaos, constant chaos of every kind, unfortunately, or that's when it's at the extreme ends. Of course, like any mental or physical illness, it's on a spectrum. So you have people who are much higher functioning and people who are lower functioning who both might have that same diagnosis. And they even talk about the issue of diagnosis itself, that how we label people and how we come up with these criteria, it's not like it's 100% correct because, or 100% uh, some kind of truth. Because for example, looking at this old diagnostic criteria, you have to meet five out of the nine symptoms. So if someone has five of these symptoms and then all of a sudden, let's say, loses one of them, technically they would be cured of borderline personality disorder. But if they're still, for example, having recurrent suicidal behavior, affective instability, um, and suicidal gestures, I doubt someone would say, well, they seem very cured or there's, their personality is okay or there's no need for treatment. And so we see that these cutoffs for the diagnoses can be a little bit um, misleading or might miss the full picture, which is why they talk about looking at things not just categorically but on a dimensional basis, meaning that we, just, we don't just look at the number of symptoms and checklists, but we're aware that we want to look at level of functioning and that can be even more important. So I wanted to give a brief and maybe not so brief outline of what borderline personality is based on 
the symptoms. And after the break, I'm going to continue talking about the book and some of the things they mentioned, even ways to communicate with someone who has borderline personality disorder, these traits, and also uh, some comments on treatment. So that's the book, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me by Gerald Kreisman and Hal Strauss. I'll be talking about that more after the break. If you'd like to call in, 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about the book, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me, Understanding the Borderline Personality by Gerald Kreisman and Hal Strauss. And I talked about the basic symptoms and some understanding of what an individual with borderline personality might look like. But I wanted to talk more about um, this book because there is so much information in it and I didn't get to really talk about some of the important concepts that are covered. So another thing that's always worth looking at is what causes a psychiatric disorder. And like the rest of them, it's never just nature or nurture. It's never just genetics or the environment. It's both. And we definitely see that that's the case with borderline personality disorder, where there certainly appears to be genetic uh, bases for it. And even they are looking at parts of the brain and the emotional parts of the brain, the limbic system seem to be more activated and the parts that are uh, more involved with executive functioning and making decisions are less activated or less strong or uh, smaller in size, whatever it may be. And this would make sense. This person is feeling emotions more intensely. That's something they are experiencing. And they often are not able to make good decisions or to really plan ahead or um, feel something, but maybe not act on it. And so this gives us an understanding neurologically of what the individual with borderline personality disorder is dealing with. But of course, the environment plays a big part too. And so with almost every case of borderline personality disorder, you're going to see a chaotic childhood, very often marked by some kind of abuse, commonly sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse as well, are very common for individuals with borderline personality disorder. Those trusting relationships were never really made. People who they should have been able to trust proved to be untrustworthy. Uh, and you also see two major patterns that can contribute to borderline personality disorder and really any type of dysfunction. Um, and that is either maybe what we can call over-parenting or under-parenting or over-involvement, basically like a suffocation from, let's say, a mother who doesn't give space for their child to form their own sense of self and have their own experience. And so they're too involved and there's no boundaries for that individual that way. Or the other extreme, some type of neglect and the, the child is left in a way to their to themselves. So we see those type of patterns very common in, in the individuals with borderline personality disorder, which of course brings up this issue of uh, how do you as a parent find that line between? Because you don't want to neglect your child, of course, but we know that you're, if you're over-involved, that can be a problem too. And so we see that for individuals who are dealing with borderline personality disorder, very often in their childhood, 
they had either one of those two extremes. Now, something else I actually found interesting was when they were talking about the demographics of individuals with borderline personality disorder. And I, um, as many people, I think, assume that more women suffer from it or have borderline personality disorder than men. But they mentioned that more recent studies are showing that it's actually equal or more equal between men and women. And a point they made, which I think is really worth noting, is that there's a bias or they're presuming there's a bias in clinicians to diagnose it more often in women than men. First of all, I think when we assume it's more common in a certain sex, we're more likely to see it there or to look for it. But also that sometimes the anger that men might express or impulsivity we might accept as part of being a man. And so we won't even see it as so problematic or as an indication of some type of mental illness. But if a woman were to express that same type of anger or impulsivity, we might react to it differently and think of it as pathological in some way or as a sign of mental illness. And I thought that was an interesting point because I think that's very true, especially when it comes to anger. We view it very differently in men and women. When a man becomes angry, very often it's seen as a sign of strength, that they know what they want, that they're in control, that they won't let people walk over them. And, and again, it's a masculine, strong thing. But then if a woman shows that same anger, they can be perceived as being irrational, uh, moody, you know, even are they PMSing or whatever else. And the reason why I say that is very often when leaders um, or women are running for office, people will say, well, because they might be dealing with their menstrual cycle, they're not going to be rational during certain times of the month. But so we can see that a woman expressing the same thing, same emotions as a man does not get the same response. And so I think clinicians are not immune to that bias of viewing a female's anger in a more negative pathological uh, manner than they would uh, the same anger expressed by a man. So I thought that was interesting and worth noting that although the tendency is to assume it's more in women than men, it appears to be equal. Now, they talk a lot about the different treatments that have been developed, and they outline some of them in more detail. A very common one that's famous is DBT, or Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, which was developed by Marsha Linehan at the University of Washington, wonderful school up there. I actually got to visit the campus recently. It's a very nice campus. Um, but her treatment is a very intensive one that requires a one-year commitment, but does prove to or has research supporting its efficacy in helping individuals who are dealing with borderline personality disorder. And so they outline several different therapies, uh, and they say really not one is better than the other. They do discuss different research um, showing how maybe some of them are more effective for certain aspects, but they try to make the point very clear that there definitely isn't a one-size-fits-all, that all people should do the same treatment. What might work for one person might not work for someone else. But as I mentioned in the previous segment, that the prognosis for someone with borderline personality disorder, although even I think most clinicians still view it as something very negative and that the person won't get helped or won't change, there's a lot of research showing that there can be significant improvements that someone does make. So that's very um, encouraging. And 
anyone dealing with this or knowing someone who is dealing with borderline personality disorder should feel more hopeful that that indeed can uh, be their fate, that things can become better for them if they get treatment. And as I mentioned before the break uh, in the first edition of this book, people actually complained that it was very pessimistic because it seemed like they were saying there is not much hope to get better. But now we're seeing that that's not the case. So that's really good. And one important factor they also talk about when it comes to therapy is that the most important ingredient appears to be the relationship between the therapist and the client. And this appears to be true about all therapy for all issues, that the most important component or ingredient for success and for getting the benefits of therapy or for therapy to be beneficial is the relationship that's formed between the therapist and client. So this is again why we can't say one size fits all or that one therapist can help every person because the match and the fit is very important. So the client has to feel good and the therapist has to feel good with the client and that match is very important. Another common component of treatment for borderline personality disorder is antidepressants or medications in general, but including antidepressants um, that are very commonly prescribed to deal with, of course, things like the moodiness, but also could be even helpful for things like anger and impulsivity. Neuroleptics are also used. Antipsychotics uh, are commonly used as well, uh, including the third class that's commonly used as mood stabilizers, things like lithium, which is prescribed generally for people with borderline personality disorder, but can also be used in the treatment of borderline, uh, sorry, for bipolar disorder, but can be also be treated for borderline personality disorder. But medication alone is not going to be sufficient. It can be a big part of treatment and very often necessary, but the therapy is going to be needed to really maintain or to create the long-term change that uh, we're looking for. So that's going to be part of it. Medication alone is not going to be enough. Now, the authors talk about a type of communication that they found helpful for anyone who's communicating with someone with borderline personality disorder, but also anyone in a crisis or really in some ways communication in general. And I believe the author, Gerald Kreisman, one of the authors of the book, he helped develop this communication style, which they call set communication or set up communication. And all the letters stand for something. It's an acronym. So the set is... S is for support, E is for empathy, and T is for truth. So you have to make sure that the person feels that you are supporting them, that you're on their side. And so you have to make a supportive statement. So they have in the book, I'm sincerely worried about how you are feeling. So this shows that you do care. You're trying to be there for them. You're on their side. You're not against them. The E is for empathy. And so this is showing them that you can understand how they're feeling. So you want to give them this feeling of understanding that you can see. So how awful you must be feeling. Um, and they make sure that you don't want to confuse empathy with sympathy. So you don't want to say, I feel so sorry for you, because uh, that could come off as condescending, like you're talking down to them. But you're showing them that I can understand what your feeling must be something very uncomfortable, something painful. And then the T in the set communication is for truth or reality. And this is really important because we have to still help the borderline individual 
face the reality of what's going on, their situation and what they're doing in that situation. We have to have them face the consequences or understand the consequences of their actions. We can't avoid them. And very often people are afraid to have them face the truth, face the reality, because they feel they can't handle it. And they can handle it. They might need support. They might need you to guide them, or they might need some therapy or other things to help them. But they can help themselves with that support. And that's the only way that help is going to be sustainable. If you're making the decisions for them constantly, they're not going to get better long term. And actually, very often they can pull for that because they can have a childlike type of response or way of acting that can make you feel like you need to rescue them or be their hero. And very often, people who are borderline will create relationships or enter relationships with someone who has that rescue fantasy or that feeling of want to be being the hero for someone. And in that way, they can initially be a very good match. But of course, inevitably, the person who wants to be a hero is going to want more from the individual's borderline personality. And the individual's borderline is going to feel that they are let down. And it's very often going to be unstable soon enough. But going back to this concept of set communication, support, empathy, and truth, um, I can see how it can be valuable in how you communicate with someone, being very direct, letting them know you're there with them. I'm supporting you. I have empathy. I can try to understand how you feel. And then also truth. I want to help you face the reality of what you're going through. And then the set up, the up is for understanding and perseverance, um, which is, as they put goals that all patients try to achieve. So I thought that was interesting, um, not just because I'm going to be doing that seminar communication next week, but this form or method of communicating that can be helpful for individuals who are dealing with someone who is borderline or anyone in a crisis situation. Because as I was talking about, when you look at the list of symptoms, an individual who has borderline personality is going to be difficult to communicate with, difficult to be in a relationship with. And people will often say they feel like they're walking on eggshells with the individual who has borderline personality because they never know or they feel like they never know what's going to set them off. Is this going to make them get really angry? Will this make them angry, uh, yell at me and have a tantrum or think I'm leaving them or abandoning them? And they can feel uh, really stuck in that way. So I thought that was an interesting um, point they made. And so to conclude on talking about the book, again, the stigma attached to mental illness is very significant, but to people with borderline personality disorder, it's even stronger. And that's something that is unfortunate. And we have to make sure we're not putting that judgment on any group of people, especially people who are suffering, like the individual with borderline personality is doing. It doesn't mean we allow them to hurt us or disrespect us in any way, but we try not to judge them and recognize that they're suffering. Even what might look like manipulation to negatively harm us often tends to be their only way of trying to survive or the way they feel they have to survive emotionally in this world. So we don't want to judge them for what they do and think of them as bad people for doing the things that might be hurtful to us, but recognize it's coming from a hurt place and they need help and help can actually help them. They can get better and that is the good news. So anyone who wants to try to understand borderline personality disorder better. This is considered one of the classics on the illness. I hate you. Don't leave me. 
by Gerald Kreisman and Hal Strauss. Uh, definitely one to check out to better understand borderline personality. All right, going into our last commercial break, studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. back so on today's show i talked about the book i hate you don't leave me which is about the which is about understanding the borderline personality or borderline personality disorder which is considered one of the more difficult uh, illnesses to treat mental illnesses to treat um and so why i wanted to what i want to talk about this last segment was this idea of understanding because people with borderline personality disorder are called many things, manipulative, uh, crazy, nuts, uh, even unworkable or unlovable, very mean things and labels are put on someone with borderline personality, Uh, especially things like manipulative is a very common term. And yes, some of what they do clearly does appear to be manipulation. Out of a fear of abandonment, they might threaten suicide or hurting themselves. And maybe they're not serious about it, or we don't really know how serious they are, or maybe the feeling of losing you might actually feel like death to them. But whatever it is, I can understand, and we can understand this feeling or this thought of it being manipulative. But we want to try to understand what the person is doing or where it is coming from. Someone who has been severely abused in childhood someone who had the people that they thought they could trust, um, turned out they hurt them the most, someone who never got to find a sense of self or have the space to create a sense of self or was given so much space no one was there to see them. All these things and much, much more can contribute to someone developing the type of personality that we're describing when we talk about someone dealing with borderline personality. Something I should also add, in reading the book, there's so many stories and anecdotes and vignettes that are shared. And what you realize is, although you might not be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, some of the qualities or behaviors that we talk about or you see in this book that are being displayed, we've all displayed from time to time. We all can have a feeling of a fear of abandonment, for example, or intense mood changes. So as much as we want to make it a us and them, we realize there's some of us in all of whatever them we're talking about, or all of us experience all of these things, definitely to differing degrees, but it's not like it's something that is so foreign for us to experience or to imagine experiencing. But coming back to understanding, rather than judging someone, labeling someone as just, oh, they're just crazy, which is very easy for us to do. It's much more important for us to actually try to understand the why. What, what's going on here? And let me make it very clear. When I say we want to come from a place of understanding, it doesn't mean we tolerate or accept any behavior that someone does to us. So I'm not saying someone disrespects you and rather than stopping them or, or doing something about it, you just stop and say, oh, there must be a reason. So keep doing what you're doing. You can continue to disrespect me. Not at all. We can set those boundaries for ourselves 
and let people know whether they're loved ones or people we don't know that this is not acceptable and I won't tolerate or accept how you're treating me, but at the same time, try to understand where it's coming from. To me, these are not two mutually exclusive things. You can do both, but I think it's better for us all to try to accept that rather than thinking that, okay, someone's saying something I don't like, or someone's acting in a way that's to me weird, they're just crazy and try to actually understand where it's coming from. And so rather than thinking someone's just being manipulative, try to understand why is this even for calling it manipulation? Why is this the way they are trying to emotionally get their needs met? Or what's driving that feeling or that behavior that looks manipulative? And this is very important, not just when we're talking about people with severe mental illness or people who are expressing behaviors that seem odd or bizarre to us, but in all of our interactions, we want to have the stance of curiosity and understanding. This is actually very important and maybe even most important when it comes to parents and dealing with their children, because although maybe it's not a great analogy, all of our children, especially let's say toddlers, can at times make us feel like they are in dealing with borderline personality. And in some ways we can say there is a connection because individuals with borderline personality tend to be emotionally at a very young age or their personality even is a very young age. So we can see some parallels between a two or three year old. For example, the tantrums. Any parent knows that you can get some really unpredictable and what seem out of proportion responses and tantrums from your toddler that really can puzzle you is what just happened? Why is my kid going crazy and screaming in the middle of Target right now when it seemed like everything was okay, but I said they just can't have this one toy? Um, even I know a story of myself where I, I think I was throwing a tantrum in Thrifty, which is now Rite Aid, because I wanted to buy some teddy bear watch that was like the most expensive thing in the store when I was two or three, and then I was on the floor throwing a tantrum. So um, all of us threw tantrums at some point in our lives, but we see that there is a lot of similarities there or the fear of abandonment that young children can have, separation, anxiety, uh, feeling like if you leave, you're never coming back. They don't have a sense of object constancy, that if you're not here, you still exist. And so that can create a lot of anxiety. But we see that our children actually can display a lot of these qualities that we see in someone with borderline personality disorder. And as a parent, what's important rather than trying to judge your child. And this was in that book, um, the early science of early developmental, I forgot what it was called now, but I read a few weeks ago, I talked about that book. It was a book about um, looking at infant mental health. And it was talking about having this stance of curiosity, how rather than just assuming your child is acting out in some negative way or that they're bad, that there's something going on. Uh, the name of the book was The Developmental Science of Early Childhood by Claudia Gold. But rather than thinking your child is acting out to be defiant or to be rebellious or to be mean to you, even that's what parents can sometimes think, I think my kid just wants to make me have a bad day because that's how it can feel. We want to always try to understand the why and have this belief that there is a why. Okay, something's going on. And usually when we start to look a little bit more closely, and if we have that perspective of understanding and curiosity, we find that we can have some explanations. Okay, last night, grandma was here for a week and she just left. So maybe she's missing her a little bit. 
didn't sleep so well these past few days because grandma was here, whatever else might be going on. Mom has been doing this, dad's doing that. And you see, there is some things that are happening that might help explain the behavior. And rather than trying to judge our child or assume that they're being difficult just to be difficult, we can recognize there's something behind that behavior. There's something behind what seems like this senseless acting out. Something is driving that, and we can try to understand that. Now, not only is this going to be helpful in connecting to your child and in helping them understand their own feelings, what we also see is when you try to understand your children, really try to understand anyone, this very often will diffuse the intense uh, emotions that they're going through. Just showing someone that you're trying to understand them, and especially that you seem to understand them, can make someone instantly feel much better. This is one of the elements of therapy that is very helpful, a feeling or that experience of someone validating, caring, and understanding how you feel. That in and of itself can be healing. Sometimes people can wonder, well, if you go to a therapist, they're not going to fix your problems. If you have a, a bad relationship or something wrong at your job, they don't go in there and fix what's going on there. Absolutely not. They might they leave that to you to figure out what you're going to do. But just having someone respond to you with understanding and validation and showing you that they care about how you feel, that itself can change your response or the way you're feeling. And so we see this with kids. When parents respond to their kids with this feeling of, I want to understand how you feel. Whatever you're experiencing and feeling, it's important to me and it's understandable to me and I want to understand it. That can itself make the child calm down. But when they feel judged by you, when they feel that you're upset with them or they feel that you think what they're doing is just weird or odd or judging them and labeling what they're doing, that's actually going to make them act out even more. As the book I mentioned points out, when the child is acting out the most, that's when they need you to be the kindest and the most loving with them because that's when they're going through the hardest time. Imagine when your kid is throwing a tantrum, of course they're not feeling good. So the more we punish them and hurt them and make them feel bad, it's not going to help them feel any better any quickly, any more quickly than if we actually show them, I care and understand, and I want to understand what you're going through, and I see you're going through a hard time. So that stance of curiosity, understanding, and warmth goes a long way in helping your child feel emotionally cared for and understood, and also helping them better understand their own feelings. Because very often your three-year-old, your two-year-old, and even whatever age-old won't understand what they're feeling and even why they might be acting out in a certain way. And it's up to us as the adults to respond in a way that shows them that there's something behind it. Let's help you understand it too. And me understanding can help you understand and make better sense of your emotions. And then you can actually deal with them in a better way too. I do want to make a quick note because I was talking about the emotions that your child might make you feel. And it's very natural and very okay for you to sometimes be mad at or even have feelings of what we can call hate, which I know sounds strong, or rage towards your kids. That can come up, these moments. And I say that so parents recognize that you're not an evil parent if your child is crying throughout the night and you get these angry feelings. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom or dad and you can only have positive feelings towards your kids. No, it's part of the process of being a parent that it's going to bring up all sorts of emotions. But we have to make sure we don't give that hate or 
rage or anger to our kids. That's something for us to deal with on our own. We don't explode that onto them. But I just want to make that point clear that it's part of being a parent, you're going to have those emotions. And so, of course, we want to have that same understanding with ourselves also, that I'm going to have these types of feelings, and that's part of being a parent, and I'm going to be compassionate with myself as well. But we want to make sure we approach all people, but especially as parents with our kids, with this feeling of understanding and the stance of curiosity. I want to understand how you feel because deep down I believe there's a reason why you're feeling what you're feeling. And I'm going to reflect that to you by validating how you feel and trying to understand what you're going through and share some warmth in helping you feel better or helping you understand how you feel. And so this book, I Hate You Don't Leave Me, made me think about this important concept of not judging others, not labeling them, not... Um, making them feel bad for how they're feeling. We can let them know it's not okay for them to treat us in a certain way, but show them that we're trying to understand them and we're not just going to judge or label them. All right, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Again, wanted to announce my seminar, May 20th, Sunday, 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. The topic is on communication for parents and for relationships. Tickets are available $40 at the door. Hope to see you there on May 20th. All right. Thank you to Amir here in the studio and everyone listening out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. Have a wonderful night. Mm-hmm.